Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Dr. Martin Luther King said this once, uh, famous words, an individual has not started living until he or she can rise above the narrow confines of the individualistic concerns to the broader concerns on all humanity. Let me read that again. An individual has not started living until he or she can rise above the narrow confines of the individualistic concerns to the broader concerns on all humanity. Basically, what Dr. Martin Luther King is saying is it's, a, it's an expounding on the command that Jesus gives us in John chapter 15 when he writes, when he says, love one another just as I have loved you by putting your life on the line. Paul says something very similar in 1 Thessalonians. He says, I really live. I have come alive knowing that you are standing firm in the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says something even far more dramatic but along the same lines. He says this, so I live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. The question we're going to ask and answer today is, how do we live this way? How do we live like this? How do we live where we are putting aside our wants and our needs and doing what Dr. Martin Luther King says, uh, uh, living for the broader concerns on all humanity. How do we change the world around us? How do we change the world around us? As James mentioned, we, we're starting a new series that is going to take us through the fall all the way up until Thanksgiving, obviously breaking for Jack Deere and the Leadership Summit in a couple of weeks. But the series that we are looking at is called Kingdom Come. And the goal of the series is to, is to search out and discover the ways of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Some commentators have suggested that uh, the book of Matthew was used by the early church as a foundations or a discipleship manual. And I really like that idea. And if that is the case, if, if the book of Matthew was used by the early church as a discipleship manual, then we need to understand that the goal, the, the kind of end goal, the, 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 the end point of this discipleship process is what we discover right at the end of the book of Matthew, which is Matthew 28. Lasara actually read that passage that we've called the Great Commission. It's a picture of maturing, not mature, but maturing disciples who are full of God's Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, walking with Jesus, and doing what He has called them and us to do, which is multiply themselves by discipling others. But if that is the end goal, we've got to ask ourselves, and and we can see this in the book of Matthew, how do we get there? It starts with God's grace. And that's the lesson from Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, if if you were to read the book of Matthew, you would discover that the the primary lesson in Matthew 1 is is God's grace, God's God's abundant uh, love and and goodness and mercy and kindness poured out freely upon us, not earned, not worked for, not strived for, but, but poured out freely upon us because simply of our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And coming to understand God's grace, we we realize that we are children of God. And as God's children, the lesson in Matthew 2 is God speaks to us. Not only that, but he pours out his spirit upon us, the lesson from Matthew chapter 3. And knowing God's grace and the fact that we are children of God and that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we learn that we are able to overcome the work of the devil, which is the lesson from Matthew 4. 
Later on in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Matthew begins to unpack the reality of the power of God's kingdom. That God's kingdom is a kingdom that are of power. It's not a kingdom of, uh, it, it, it's not about talk and philosophy, but it is a kingdom of power. It's a kingdom that is forcefully advancing through signs, wonders, miracles, and salvations. And in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew shows us how Jesus commissions his disciples and commissions us to go and proclaim and, 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 and advance the kingdom of God. But before he gets to that, he, he, he unpacks this very important passage of Scripture that we're going to look at over the coming months. Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, what, what we commonly are, uh, refer to as the Sermon on the, on the Mount. It's Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It's a description of what it looks like now that Jesus has come to establish himself as God's king. We're going to learn very importantly that there are many paradoxes in, with regards to the kingdom of God compared to how we understand world structures and how they work. And one of the first and most important paradoxes to understand is the kingdom of God is an inside-out kingdom. The way we live in the world, so much of the world is, is a government or a leadership or an authority that is imposed upon us from the outside in the hopes of bringing about an internal change. But Jesus completely turns that on his head and he helps us understand that the kingdom of God is an inside out kingdom. God gets hold of our hearts. He invites us into relationship with Jesus, and as we come into an intimate relationship with Jesus, change happens within us, which finds manifestation externally. That's how communities are changed. That's how cities, neighborhoods, and cities and countries are transformed, not by imposing an external rule, but by discovering our identity and purpose through relationship with Jesus. In the New Testament times, a rabbi or a teacher had a certain interpretation of what we understand now to be the Old Testament. It was the way he kind of understood God's word and how he taught his disciples to, to follow him or to follow his interpretation of the Old Testament. And that, that interpretation of the Old Testament was referred to as a rabbi's yoke. I want you to listen to this verse, or these few verses from Matthew chapter 11, that, that it's Jesus describing his yoke, describing his understanding or interpretation of the Old Testament. Listen to this in Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me. That's that invitation of, of desiring an intimate relationship with us. Not, not rules imposed, but invitation. Come to me, Jesus says. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In other words, submit to my word and, and allow my word to, to, find li to, to give you life from within. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every now and then, a rabbi would come along who, who taught God's word in a way that was kind of fresh and, and full of life and full of the kind of power and presence of God. And when such a rabbi came along, it was said of that rabbi that he taught as one who had authority. 
I want you to listen to this verse of, of how Matthew describes the crowd's response at the end of Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. These are the last verses of Matthew 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, when Jesus had finished giving his Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. He taught in a way that, that no one had ever taught before and not as their teachers of the law. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is, is as we dig into the Sermon on the Mount together over the coming months, Jesus is extending an invitation to every single one of us. It's an invitation of, of closeness and, and intimacy with Him. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for most of your life or whether you are here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is an invitation that is being extended through the words in, in this book by the Spirit of God to come into intimate relationship with Jesus. And there's a wonderful promise that comes with that. The promise is rest for your souls. Who doesn't need rest for their souls. Who doesn't need that? I mean, in the, in, in the, in the busyness and the fast pace of the city in which we live, the challenges and struggles of life, we all need rest for our souls, our souls. And that is promised to us as we allow Jesus to place his yoke upon us, his teaching, his authority upon us. It's a yoke that is well-fitting. It's a yoke that can be carried lightly. It's not a yoke to be taken lightly, but it's a yoke that can be carried lightly. We need to understand this before we start the series. The kingdom of God, or the Sermon on the Mount, is not a set of rules to be obeyed, but it's an invitation to a relationship to be enjoyed. It's not a set of rules to be obeyed, but it's an invitation to a relationship with Jesus that can be enjoyed. So with that as the introduction, let's go back to our original question. How do I change the world around me? Now, right away, I intentionally didn't kind of say this at the very beginning when I asked this question initially, but when we hear the word, or, or, the world around me, or, or we, the, the question, how do I change the world around me? It sounds so vast. It sounds so kind of nebulous. It sounds so out there. And I, I'm asking you, before we get into the text this morning, right now, I want you to bring to mind your, your work colleagues. I want you to bring to mind your, your neighbors, your friends at school, and those that you interact with in, in your communities. And then let's ask the question, how do we change the world around me? How do we change the world around us? Let's read together the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach. There's some dispute over whether this Sermon on the Mount is, is one extensive sermon that Jesus gave or whether it's a, a gathering of various teachings. But either way, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, sitting with his followers, and he's expounding on, on, the, on his yoke, on the heart of God. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How do I change the world around me? Essentially, the, 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 the point that I want to communicate today is simply this. It's not about so much what we do, but it's about realizing and living in the reality of who we are in Christ as part of the kingdom of God. Interestingly enough, I came across a, a social media tweet by Warren Buffett. You know Warren Buffett, the, 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 the wealthy entrepreneur, wealthy business person? He, he has been putting out a series of tweets, a series of social media posts that, that, that are his views on how to change the world around you, life tips. And I came across this one list of 10 things, which are pretty cool. So I'm going to read them out to you. How does Warren Buffett think we should change the world around us? Say thank you. Apologize when wrong. Show up on time. Be nice to strangers. Listen without interrupting. That's a tough one for me. Admit when you're wrong. Follow your dreams. Be a mentor. Learn and use people's names. Hold doors open. Isn't that a great list? I mean, that's cool. That's, that's good advice. You know what the problem is with that? It's fake. Warren Buffett said nothing of the sort. Someone created a social media account called Warren Buffett, Buffett with one T and not two, which actually should give it away. And they've been tweeting life advice and it's gone viral. The nation is lapping it up. Because we love a good to-do list, don't we? We love a, 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 a promise of if you do this, there's a guaranteed result at the end. We, I don't know if, about you, but something comes alive in me when I complete a to-do list. I, I love that, that feeling. In fact, at the end of every day, even if I haven't completed my to-do list, I can't close the day until I've transferred all my incomplete tasks across to the next day. That's just the way that I operate. In fact, I actually go one further. Those little notifications on my inbox and my texts, those little red numbers that are literally demons screaming at me, I, I, before the day is ending, I, I open those emails just so that I can clear those numbers away. We love to-do lists. We love it, especially those to-do lists like Warren Buffett with one T, those to-do lists that change or, or promise to change the world around us. The point I'm trying to make is this, is our culture has created a list of secular beatitudes, things that the culture determines or, or thinks that, are, that, that will ensure that we are blessed and we are favored. Not only things that we should do, but 
but stuff that we should own or a certain status that we should achieve, or certain clothes that we should wear, or an amount of money that we need to earn, or, a, or certain degrees that we need to study for. The world demands that we, that, that we live this way in order to be favored and blessed. And what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount is he turns this completely on his head. He starts by, by describing what Billy Graham calls the beautiful attitudes. I love that. He starts by describing the beautiful attitudes. And, and what we'll notice as we go through this is that the wrong people are blessed. And what I mean by the wrong people, the wrong people in the, in the light of how the world defines blessing and favor. And that's the second important paradox about the kingdom of God. We spoke about the kingdom of God being inside out. The kingdom of God is also upside down. Those that the world would discard those that the world would say have no place, those that the world will say could never change or make an impact, Jesus says, you are blessed and you are favored. How do I change the world around me? The first thing that we're going to look at, and this is found in the first six verses, is this. Know where to find true blessing. Know where to find true blessing. What matters in life is is not what you have or what you do, but who you are in Jesus. Who you are in Jesus. The world says, blessed are the celebrities, for they are famous and rich and beautiful. But Jesus says blessed, and and that word blessed means to be spiritually prosperous, to to be favored, to be admired, to be happy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is the opposite of spiritual pride. It's not the facade of projected strength, but it's the willingness to be vulnerable to reveal your weakness or to acknowledge your weakness. You know, so often we think that there is this expectation on us to to project this, this sense or this aura of strength and having it all together. But when we do that, we actually limit or get in the way or hinder the ability for God to work in our lives. In the book of James, James writes this, God opposes the proud. Jesus actually says, I did not come for the righteous. I did not come for those who project this aura of strength and having it all together. But I came for those who were sick. I came for the weak. When we acknowledge weakness, we actually stir up Christ-likeness. And here's the next paradox with regards to the kingdom of God. Not only is it inside out, not only is it upside down, but the kingdom of God is weakness actually means strength. When I am weak, the Bible teaches I am strong. I am strong in the grace of God. The world says, blessed are the party goers, for their life is full of happiness. But Jesus says, blessed are those who who mourn. We come across the term in the, in the Gospels in particular, the term leper. And, and yes, it does mean uh, kind of, it, it, it refers to those who have the disease, but, but gen- it's actually a term that is used more generally to describe anyone who has some kind of disease or ailment that causes them to be excluded from community and most importantly, excluded from the ability to, to worship God in the temple. 
In fact, it was, it was required of anyone who was regarded a leper or an outcast to literally walk through the streets of the city. And if anyone came close to them, they would have to proclaim, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Stay away. Stay away. I'm unclean. Imagine for a moment living like that. Imagine for a moment constantly disqualifying yourself and constantly excluding yourself. The reality is some of us don't have to worry. uh, Some of us don't have to imagine too hard because we live like that all the time. I know one of my biggest struggles is the fact that I constantly disqualify myself. The passion for Jesus to, to heal that leper, that person who was excluded, was not only to restore them to physical health, but more importantly even, was to restore them back into community and to give them that ability to be able to worship in the temple of God. To mourn means to acknowledge that I am, or my heart is, or my body is, or our city is, or our country is broken and in need of healing. To mourn means to acknowledge that Jesus is the only one who can heal that brokenness, and not just to restore us to physical health, but to restore to us eternal life like it was meant to be. Sometimes that restoration happens instantly. Sometimes it's a journey that, 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 that leads us into healing. But either way, God promises in Psalm 23 that even though we walk through the darkest valley, He will always be with us. The world says, blessed are the self-confident, for they shall secure the best jobs and the most desirable relationships. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek. To be meek is to be humble. Remember I said that verse in James, God opposes the proud. And it goes on to say, but God gives grace to the humble. To be meek means to be broken. Not broken in the sense of shattered glass, but broken in the sense of a wild horse that has been tamed. To be meek means to display great strength under willing submission and authority. The world says, blessed are those who hunger after wealth and sex and status. But Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you desire what God desires? Is his heart reflected in yours? To hunger and thirst after righteousness means that we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and we want more. We want more. We want more of of Him that is so good and so righteous and so true. And we don't want any pretenders. And we don't want the scraps. Forgive me for this very simple illustration, but but this this week on, on Friday, I was introduced to bacon for the first time in my life. There is there there is bacon, and then there is bacon. Bacon from Benton's country bacon in Madisonville, Tennessee. Hickory smoked bacon. It was glorious. It's ruined bacon for the rest of my life. Everything else is a pretender. I know it's a silly illustration, but let me ask you this. What are the pretenders in your life to God's righteousness? What are the pretenders to, in your life to God's righteousness? I had a friend who, who, who made a bucket load of money during the tech boom 15, 20 years ago. I remember sitting, having a picnic with his family in Lincoln Park. And he said to me, you know, Steve, when I was 23, my bank account 
clicked over to seven digits, seven figures. And it was always my goal. And he said it was the most unfulfilling moment in my life. To him, a pretender to God's righteousness was wealth. For me, at times I, I, I put myself, not anyone else, but I put myself under immense pressure to, to preach the perfect sermon. To want, to, be, to want to be accepted as, as a great preacher, and it's not pressure anyone else is putting on except me. There's nothing wrong with wealth, and there's nothing wrong in wanting to be excellent with the gifts you've been given. But let me tell you, friends, those things are pretenders to the righteousness that comes from Jesus. Nothing, well, let me say this, self-righteousness is the result of lesser things becoming everything. Self-righteousness is the result of lesser things becoming everything. How do I change the world around me? Firstly, know where to find true blessing. Secondly, how do I change the world around me? Remember who the true blessing is ultimately for. And, and, and Matthew chapter 5, from verse 7, you'll notice there's a shift in the way Jesus unpacks the Beatitudes or the beautiful attitudes. The first four were kind of pointed to God and our relationship with God, but the next four begin to point to our relationship with others. We need to live with others in mind. We need to, we need to embrace the exhortation from Dr. King to, to, to live for the broader concerns of all humanity. In fact, it's way bigger than Dr. King's exhortation. It's the exhortation that runs throughout Scripture, ultimately manifest powerfully through Jesus laying down his life for us. The world says, blessed are those who demand justice whenever they are wronged. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who extend mercy and forgiveness when justice demands punishment. It's a demonstration. When we can extend mercy to others, it's a demonstration that we have understood that we've received mercy ultimately from Jesus himself. The world says, blessed are those who look out for themselves. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. To be pure in heart is, is a heart that is able to honor others. It's a heart without pretense. It's a heart that's not divided. It's a heart that, that, that doesn't have ulterior or selfish motives. David writes in Psalm 86, grant me a pure heart. Grant me an undivided heart so that I may honor you. You see, true honor, true honor of God and true honor of others comes from a pure heart, comes from an undivided heart, because it's not, uh, honor is not rooted in selfish motives. Honor is able to see the best in others, period, not the best in others for me. The world says, blessed are the self-promoters and those who can defend their point of view. But Jesus says, blessed are are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who don't stir up conflict. Blessed are those who are reconciled and who are actively reconciling with others where they know there is conflict or strife. Blessed are those who'd rather be reconciled than be right. And I think this is so important for us in our day and age in which we live. Blessed are those who refuse to participate in the vicious polarization that has gripped our culture. The world says, blessed are the self-preserving. But Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, blessed are those who expect nothing in return. In return for what? In return for being merciful. In return for having a pure heart and honoring others. In return for being a peacemaker. In return for laying down our lives for the benefit of others. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you do that and you don't expect anything in return. It's what Paul was saying, death is at work in me. Why? So that life can be released to those around me. How do we change the world around me? Firstly, we need to know where true blessing is. We know where to find true blessing. Secondly, we must remember who true blessing is ultimately for. And then lastly, and with this I'm going to end, we need to live in the true blessing that is yours in Christ. In other words, be who you are in Jesus. Be who you are in the kingdom of God. In verse 13 and 14, uh, what is said, what Jesus says is this, be salt and be light. It's who you are. Salt and light bring about change. Salt and light bring about difference. Salt and light are contrasted to the world around them. And he is saying to us, be who you already are. Be who you are in me. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make when we come to read the Beatitudes, and I honestly did this for years, is that we assume that Jesus is being prescriptive. In other words, he's telling us what to do. He's saying, we, we, we make the mistake of thinking, well, what Jesus is saying to us is, is if you want to live a favored life, if you want to be blessed in the kingdom, what I need from you is I need you to be poorer in spirit. And I need you to, to mourn more. And I need you to, 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 to pursue and thirst after righteousness more than you are. And, and persecution, let me tell you this, I need you to be more persecuted. If that's the case, then you will be blessed and you will live a favored life in the kingdom. But what Jesus is telling us in the Beatitudes, what, I, what I've become grown to understand is he's not being prescriptive. He's being descriptive. He's describing who we already are in the kingdom of God. He's describing who, how we live and, and what is the attitude of, of heart now that he has come as king of God's kingdom. So while the world says that it's the celebrity or the party goer or the self-confident or those who gather tons of things are the ones who are blessed, Jesus is saying it's those who cling to his grace, those who walk alongside him in the darkest valley, those who come under his authority and those who hunger after him. In other words, it's those who are part of his kingdom. Those are truly blessed. Things will happen in life that'll make us aware of our weakness or the brokenness around us. Things will happen in life when we feel discarded or disqualified to actually make an impact in the world. Things will happen where we realize there is no strength in independence. Things will happen when we know that, there are, that, that the pretenders don't match up to God's righteousness. And it's when, things that, that make, it's, it's when those things happen, we begin to long for the manifestation of God's kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. We long for intimacy with Jesus when we have those experiences happen to us. And Jesus is saying, it's then that you are blessed. You are blessed 
Because in Jesus, wholeness counters brokenness. In Jesus, closeness can be experienced instead of loneliness. Community instead of independence. And true identity instead of false promises. When we experience struggles in life and we are part of God's kingdom, we know that there is more. And that more is Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can satisfy. That's why we are blessed. That's why we are favored. And listen to how God says he will bless us when, because we are part of his kingdom. Listen to what Jesus says. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. The manifestation of the rule and reign of Jesus in your life is yours because you are part of God's kingdom. You will be comforted in the midst of the most difficult and and most unbelievable trial. Jesus is saying, I will be with you. You will inherit the earth. You are part of the people of God around the city and around the world who are changing the people around them by God's love. You will be filled. You will be filled with God's desires. You'll be filled with His power and His presence. You will experience mercy. Jesus will never give up on you. Because of Jesus' word, every day is a fresh start. The word of God says, your mercies are new every morning. Do you realize that every single day in Jesus, you are given a fresh start? Talk about mind-blowing. You will see God. You will see God at work in you and through you and around you. And you will be called. You will be called children of God. I love that. It doesn't say you are children of God. As great as that truth is, you will be called children of God. I see that as saying God every day, the Father every day speaks identity and worth and value over you and me. You will be called the children of God. See, being blessed by Jesus is so different to being blessed by the world. In my notes, I've actually got you, there's a typo. It says being blessed by Jesse is so different to being blessed by the world. And let me say, as great as it is to be blessed by Jesse, it is even greater to be blessed by Jesus. To be blessed by Jesus is far greater than being blessed by the world. And that's the point that Jesus is making in verse 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. You bring flavor. You bring a distinction, a difference. You are this, a, a, a light on a lamp, a, a lamp on a on, on a table. You illuminate people towards the truth of the kingdom. You are a city on a hill. You show the world what it looks like that now that Jesus is king. And notice again, the exhortation from Jesus is not be more salty or shine brighter or establish yourself more on the hill. It's this, be who you are. Be salt, be light, be a city on a hill. How do I change the world around me? Nowhere to find true blessing. Remember who that true blessing is ultimately for and live in the truth, in in the true blessing that is yours in Christ. Remember this, to change the world around us. It's not so much what we do, but it's realizing and living in the freedom and fullness of who we are in Jesus.
I'm going to ask that we close our eyes for a moment because I, I just, as I was praying, I sense there is an opportunity for us to respond this morning to the presence of God. Father, we just want to come before you before we just transition over into a time of ministry. We thank you for all that you have said and have done this morning through worship and through fellowship and through breaking bread and through your word, Lord God, the way that you have challenged us and ministered to us. Father, we thank you that we have indeed tasted and seen that you are good and our hearts are hungry for more. Before I just get into the area of ministry or response that I felt in particular for this morning, just as every eye is closed, I I do want to just extend an invitation to, to you today if perhaps you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I've spoken about this incredible reality of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. But, but to get to that place, to, to be in that place of understanding what the reign and rule of Jesus means, it starts by receiving the grace of God. It starts by, by acknowledging by faith that you believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. And so if you're here today, just as every eye is closed, I'm going to ask you to respond in like 30 seconds. If you are here today and you are saying, Steve, I, I don't know Jesus as Lord, and I don't know Jesus as Savior, and I don't fully understand what that means, but, but there is a stirring in my heart to want to know Jesus. There's a stirring in my heart to, to want to understand what it means for the grace of God to be poured out upon me. If that's you today, I would love to pray with you right where you are seated. I'm not going to embarrass you by calling you forward in any way, but I would just love to know that you are out there and I would lead you in a prayer right where you are seated for you to receive Jesus into your hearts and come to know true identity and true destiny and true value. If that's you today and you say, Steve, would you pray for me? I want to ask you quickly just to lift up your hands. Just look at me so I know you're out there. I would love to lead you in that prayer this morning. Anyone who wants to respond to that invitation today. Lord, we thank you for the incredible gift of salvation. The incredible gift of salvation. Let us never grow weary of celebrating it. Let us never grow tired of preaching it. And let us always remember the work that you've done on the cross. Just two more minutes. If you just continue to be in that place of receiving from the Lord this morning. I I felt particularly in this area of disqualification. Like me, perhaps there are some who too often you disqualify yourself from what God can do in you and through you. Like that leper, perhaps you walk around and you project this aura of, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified. Stay away, God. I'm disqualified. Perhaps you're here today and, and you would, would, would say, you know, I've disqualified myself from, from healing. I don't, you, you might think, I don't have the faith for God to heal. There's a beautiful scripture in the Bible that it tells us about a, a father who came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I, I, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I want to say, Jesus doesn't heal on the back of the size of your faith. 
Jesus heals because he is a good God who promises to heal. And if you're here today and if you are sick in any way, I'm going to invite you to come forward in a few moments. And we would love to pray for God and stand in faith with you for God to heal you. Perhaps you've disqualified yourself from changing the world around you. You've thought to yourself, how would God ever use me? If that's you today, I would love in a few moments for you to come forward and for us to pray for you that that that, that mindset would be broken in Jesus' name. In fact, I'm going to pray that right now. If If that's for you, just where you are, just lift your hands and receive from Jesus. Father, if there is anyone here this morning who has disqualified themselves and said, I am not able to be used, I, I, I rebuke that lie in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord God, by your Spirit, you would come and just uh, dismantle that, that thinking, dismantle that lie in Jesus' name. Where the devil has got a foothold into their hearts, I pray, Lord Jesus, you would remove it and replace that lie with the truth of your word that we are all called by you to impact the world around us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come upon those precious people that are, that are just crying out to you right now. Holy Spirit, that you would empower them, that you would bless them, that you would enable them, that you would fill them in Jesus' name. The last thing I want to do, just challenge us or invite us to respond to is this, is maybe you ha- it's not a case of you've disqualified yourself, but you've disqualified God. Perhaps you've thought that, that your friend is too far from God to ever be saved. Or the city is too broken for God to ever intervene. Or your current situation is is too far beyond God's ability to bring about transformation and change. And maybe you're here today and you perhaps have disqualified God. And I would just invite you, if that's you, just in this place, just to say, Lord, would you forgive me? Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your authority. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your life. Thank you, Lord God. There is not one person on this planet who is too far beyond the the, the reach of your salvation. There is not a situation that is too far beyond your ability to break in and intervene. Father, thank you that that, that the lies of the devil and 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 the institutions of the world and the financial struggles that we face are not beyond your ability to bring fullness and healing and wholeness. And we thank you, Lord God, that your desire is not just to bring about physical restoration, but you want us to restore us into eternal life, this side of heaven. And so, Father, for those that have disqualified you, thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. And I pray, Father, for a release of great faith upon our hearts, that we would know that you are able to do amazing things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City. All of Jesus for everyone.